0: Well, as I alluded, welcome to the beginning of a new Sunday night teaching series titled Biblical Parenting Crash Course. I'll take a little break from our Old Testament study for, uh, to insert a little parenting class here. At the church, I've preached on parenting several times. And Sunday nights do a little bit more teaching than preaching. And I've taught some parenting lessons before, but never really a full parenting study, parenting course. And although this crash course won't be fully exhaustive, I figured it's just a good time in a season of our church to provide some pulpit teaching on parenting, what the Bible says about it. So this will be a a several-week Bible study where we hope to explore the gamut of what the Bible says about children, parents, the task of parenting, both in principle and in practice. And the hope is that this time will be extremely informative, but very practical as well. And so for this first introductory lesson, I mostly want to introduce you to biblical parenting and really help establish the need for biblical parenting and what we mean by that, we'll discover. I'm not just going to tell you what we do with our kids per se, but aim to tell you what God's word says we all should be doing with all of our kids. not a guru. I don't want to be a guru. Like Ecclesiastes 12.12 says, the writing of many books is endless. That certainly applies to parenting books. There's also some novel parenting fad on the market, but you don't need that. You don't need my personal advice. What you need are the solid truths and principles of God's word made understandable and then implemented and applied in your life consistently. Last word is a big word, consistently, but that is what you need. That's what we aim to help you with here. This is not just a parenting crash course, but a biblical parenting crash course. Now, I'm only intending to help you search understand, and then implement God's word in your child-rearing. Chances are that's why you're here, or for those later online, that's why they're listening. And I would bet and sincerely hope you've become desperate for biblical parenting. You want to be sure of everything scripture says about this task, and then you, you want to do it. And that's probably because you've come to the full realization that a parenting in the world is is a really hopeless and desperate affair, even a bankrupt affair these days. I mean, have your eyes been opened to the absolutely disastrous consequences of adopting our culture's view of children in general, and then parenting as well? I mean, I would say it's pretty bad out there. Parenting, according to the practices of the world, seems largely hopeless. And to the degree that Christians are getting their parenting advice from the world, they're going to find the same despair in their homes but I can only hope that the fruit of our culture's sour view on parenting has left such a bad taste in your mouth that you want nothing to do with it because it is indeed pretty spoiled. In fact, let's start with that. Just by way of introduction here, beginning a new series, easing into it, I want to help establish the need for a distinct type of parenting, biblical parenting. So let's begin with a bit of a reflection on the state of parenting in our culture. Let's just begin with this, two reflections on parenting in our culture. Two reflections on parenting in our culture, just by way of introduction. You know, first, parenting in our culture comes with unique challenges. Parenting in this culture, this day and age, comes with unique challenges. That's true to every generation. Parenting in every age is going to come with its own unique set of challenges fitting to the age and the culture. Back in the Industrial Revolution, the threat of uh, starvation... And the lack of child safety laws meant your child might be forced into the workplace at a very young age. I would call that a challenge to parenting. That does not apply today, but in our age, our society, our culture, we're going to have our own unique set of challenges. And just in my reflection here are three big ones, three let's say huge challenges Christian parents will face living in this culture today. First, the usurping of parental authority the usurping of parental authority. In a new future study, we're going to establish from scripture the plain fact that God made you all, the parents, to be the primary authorities over your children. Not the state, not the school, not even the church. You as parents are given by God his authority for raising up these children. However, both abroad and in America, we see the state and Continually encroaching on parents' authority in an effort to gain more control and power. Scripture says it's up to parents primarily to bring up their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. But the state more and more wants to take over those two tasks, but just without the whole in the Lord part. There's really no in the Lord about it. You know, long ago parents started yielding to the state the ability to educate their children, and that's it's not a sin. But now it has become perceived as the right of the state to educate your children, as an example. In some countries, it's not even an option. Either the state educates your children or they will take your children away from you. And talk about going beyond the bounds of God given authority to the state. God has given the state some authority in his will, but not, not that authority. But do you really think that the government these days will give your children biblical instruction? we would hope at best for neutral instruction we we would take that but we know that's not really what we're getting to the contrary even in america if the state alone was responsible for instructing your kids you know, i think we're all pretty much convinced they'd be indoctrinated with completely liberal and humanistic even atheistic dogma this just goes to say for some parents look they don't have much choice they they're going to have to take advantage of public education that's not a sin But they're going to face an extra challenge, an extra uphill battle against the education their children are getting, the state seeking to usurp and really oppose their authority and their influence over their kids. It's just a unique challenge. It's one of the big challenges Christian parents face today. We can say a lot more about this one, but suffice it to say, given the tailspin of our culture, I think you can only expect more and more pressure from the state to exert its authority and influence over your children and to usurp, take away uh, the God-given authority and influence parents are to have over their children. Other countries, like China, they, they already experienced this to the full. Like the, the state owns your children, so to speak. I think we're, we're getting more and more in that direction uh, in our own country. Secondly, a second challenge, the targeting of children. The targeting of children. This wasn't really true 50 years ago, but of late, children have become the primary targets first for commerce. Interesting when you think about it, maybe you've not reflected on it, but children are now the main targets for commerce. Corporations have learned they can make the most money off of this youngest target demographic. And because they're so easily impressionable and not very discerning, children are easy prey for advertising. It's just easy and parents who are desperate to buy either their child's submission or affection will just will give into it but do you think this intense consumerism is promoting any you know, virtues in your children or maybe it's feeding their flesh and exploiting sinful desires and we know that in america greed covetousness materialism are respectable sins but but not before god and really beyond the commercial targeting of your children. In our society, children are now being sexually targeted. Our culture is sad to go further and further into the the exploitation of children and the sexualization of youth. Instead of guarding their innocence, their purity, they want to exploit it. And it doesn't define everyone, but you might recall, I think last fall, the controversy around a Netflix film titled Cuties, which was uh, about a bunch of preteen girls performing highly sexualized dance routines in that world, in the world about that. And I think it's just the tip of the iceberg. As depravity runs rampant in our culture, so will attempts to sexually exploit youths. Instead of protecting them to be, well, targeted uh, and, and used. Our culture has shifted. It used to be that, that children were viewed as innocents to be protected, but now they're, they're a market to be exploited. The landscape of our culture is not all evil, but it is filled with landmines and traps. And that just means parents living today are going to face more challenges navigating life in this culture. Thirdly, the spirit of the age. The third challenge for parents today. The spirit of the age. That term simply refers to the prevailing values or attitudes in a society. I don't know, maybe you've heard the German term for it, Zeitgeist. That's what it means, the spirit of the age. We know that behind the spirit of the age lies Satan. Second Corinthians 4 4 says he's the God of this world who has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. And Ephesians 2 2 adds that his spirit is now working in the sons of disobedience. So, in other words, the spirit of the age reflects. That the organized rebellion of Satan and his followers against God in any given age. So this is not unique, but but what the spirit of the age looks like in any given age is unique. Now I'd say in our age, the rejection of absolute truth, political correctness, and the sexual revolution have dominated now the spirit of the age. In Western culture, tolerance has become the supreme virtue, except of, the, of course for those who don't share the same values and morals of the culture. And complete intolerance is reserved for those who still see truth and morality as God defines. I trust is no surprise to you. For the past 100 years, Christians have been labeled as anti-intellectual for not accepting everything the world says about evolution, going up against it. Now we are to be labeled as immoral, We are the immoral and intolerant ones because we're not accepting the new norms of gender and sexuality. It's gotten to the point where now in our society's primary institutions, the government, the school, the military, the media, that if you dissent with the spirit of the age, you will be punished. You'll be blacklisted. You will be cast out. Now you add to this scenario, the power of social media in the lives of our youth you can hopefully start to appreciate the volcano of pressure they face to conform to the spirit of the age. A group think is now a real thing, and it's in full force. So all this goes to say, talk about modern challenges to parenting. Every generation of parents faces their own unique set of parenting in that age. But I think it's safe to say, never have parents faced such modern challenges. These are unique and significant challenges to this parenting task. This is just scratching the surface. Parenting is hard and challenging in any age, just given that the heart of rebellion born into our children and the triple threat of the world, Satan, and the flesh. We face that in every age. But I firmly believe that as the spirit of the age grows and grows, Parenting is just gonna become harder and harder. The choices and challenges you're gonna to have to the choices you're gonna to have to make, the challenges you'll face are just gonna become harder. But let, let's keep going here. It's not all bleak news. We just need to come to terms with some of the challenges we face. This is still by way of introduction, but I want us to continue reflecting a little bit on the state of parenting in our culture in which we all live. Living in this culture presents us with many unique challenges. Yes. How are we then to respond to such challenges? Before we delve into how scripture tells us to respond, let's ask first, you know, how is the world responding? What does parenting look like in the culture right now? What's being taught? What's being promoted? What kind of invisible parenting influence Uh, from the culture, is getting to unwitting Christians. So, let's add a second reflection here. I told you just to start two reflections on the state of, of parenting in our culture. Secondly, now, parenting in our culture is driven by unbiblical goals. It comes with unique challenges, and secondly, it's driven by unbiblical goals. It's not like we expect our culture to be driven by biblical goals, but as it turns harder and harder against Christian truths, unbiblical goals intensify. What is your goal for your kids? Have you ever been asked that question before? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Like, what am I doing here? What are my goals for these children? Do you have any goals for your children? By the time they leave the nest, what do you hope to see? What goals? for your kids, right now, are driving your parenting choices and decisions. Well, to start from the perspective of the world, it's not hard to just observe some of the top goals among those in the world. So, I'll give you another three. I would pretty easily estimate three uh, top goals of parenting among those in the world. First, survival. Just survival. I would say a lot of parents don't really have any specific goals for their kids in mind. They're they're rather aimless. They never thought about why they had kids. Maybe they never planned to have kids. A lot of people have kids unplanned. And likewise, they never thought, they never actually stopped to think about what their goals are in raising these little humans. What are we trying to do here? And so they just kind of default into a survival mode. And they, they come to view their role as parents as just basic care providers. Their only real goal is to keep these little humans alive until they turn 18 by providing them food, shelter, clothing, and a little entertainment. And such parents rarely spend time thinking about the personal, moral, and spiritual development of their kids. It's just default, provide care, keep them alive, and have a little fun, but nothing more. No, like it's not unbiblical for Christian parents to to have as a goal, the survival of their kids, obviously, we're going to do everything in our power to ensure the survival of our kids. But as we know, those in the world believe this is their only life. We though believe in the life to come, which which matters more. And so we're just not going to default to this this hopeless sense of survival as the main goal for our kids. We're going to try and go above and beyond just survival. Secondly, self-esteem. Self-esteem. You know, many parents who are driven by self and life, in turn, have self-esteem as the main goal for their kids. The main thing they want for their kids is just for them to discover their authentic self. To use the, the jargon of modern pop psychology. Now, other accomplishments, other achievements are not really emphasized as much. They just want their kids to find their identity, to accept who they are, and just enter society well-adjusted. But of course, when you put kids on a quest for identity, apart from the scriptures, where God defines our identity, informs our identity, well, what are the chances are that they're going to arrive at a biblical view of self? No, they're going to arrive at a distorted and elevated view of self, which according to scripture is extremely bad and dangerous. And I think we're seeing the fruit of that in our culture as we witness the most spoiled, entitled generation, probably in human history. Raised on sport team, sports teams without losers and raised in schools without failing grades. But I tell you, you take a child who's already born with a selfish heart opposed to God, And you tell him the most important thing is for him to love himself. It's like pouring gasoline on a fire. This is a sure way of fueling the sinful flesh of a youth. And such that by adulthood, that that becomes a bonfire of selfishness, which is antithetical to the gospel. That's a huge problem. The self-esteem, though, is is a functional goal for a lot of parents. Not all of them. Not all have given into the self-esteem movement. I think a great number of parents in the world still cling to that that classic goal for their kids, which is just success. Third S here, third goal, success. I think many parents, if not most, still have as the the overall functional goal for their kids success. They just want them to succeed. Most often, this is material. They want them to be rich someday. Often, this is educational. They, They have to graduate from college, get a good degree. That often relates to prestige, to status. They have to get a nice job, get married, have a good family, a nice house, the American dream, all that stuff. This goal is sometimes driven by the parent's own ambition. I read a story of a man who himself didn't get very far in college football, but now as a father, his son isn't even 10, but he puts him through these intense daily quarterback training drills because he's determined that his son will be the next top NFL quarterback, and he's going to make sure that his child will succeed where he failed. Now, of course, there's nothing wrong with wanting your child to succeed in a basic sense in life, but here's the thing, though. Who really defines success? What does it mean to succeed? By what definition of success are we going off of here? Because I think our Lord would say, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but forfeit his soul? It's only natural to want your child to have a nice life with the measure of success. Yeah, That's fine, but that is not the most important thing in life. There are other spiritual goals that are going to take precedence. This list could go on likewise, but just the bottom line shortcoming of these parenting goals is that parents in the world, they're not trying to raise their children to the glory of God. This is obviously entirely absent from their thinking that the one true most important goal is missing from their list entirely. It's not even entered their mind. They don't even see their children as creations of God whom they get to steward and return back to God. They will give an account for how they did that. It doesn't even enter their mind. And and really, what's the consequence of this? Most of their goals are, are, are directly taking their children away from God and spiritual things. What's the consequence? You know, if all the goals of parenting in our culture really have nothing to do with God, well, why would you embrace their methods? Because just think about it. Their methods of parenting are designed to help them achieve their goals but if their goals are, are antithetical to our goals, why then would you spend time embracing their methods? Where do you think that's going to lead you and your kids? If their goals are pointed away from God, then their methods are only going to accomplish that. And do you honestly think that by employing the parenting methods of the world, your kids are going to come to know God, accept God, and worship God? Well then, why do you accept parenting instruction or even advice from those in the world. So, conclusion, don't. I know we've labored through a long introduction here, only to arrive at some simple conclusions, which most of you have probably already made. Our culture is rotten. It confronts us with many parenting challenges, offers us no solutions. The goals of parenting in our culture are increasingly oriented away from God. So, we shouldn't listen to them or follow their methods. Okay, but two things. One, if there's even one parent listening now or in the future whose eyes are open to stop buying all the parenting garbage that comes from our culture, then this long introduction was worth it. And two, even for those of you who already believe all this, let this continually challenge you to evaluate yourself, your parenting methods, your practices, your philosophy, because the ways and the methods of the world can so easily infiltrate the church. And then we wonder, how come we're arriving at the same goals of the world, even though we don't want that? Listen to this, I think, insightful and convicting quote from a classic book we'll probably reference often, Shepherding a Child's Heart by Ted Tripp. Just, It's a little bit long. Just do your best. Just listen to this, this uh, reference. He says this, quote, You must equip your children to function in a culture that has abandoned the knowledge of God. If you teach them to use their abilities, aptitudes, talents, and intelligence to make their lives better without reference to God, you turn them away from God. If your objectives are anything other than man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, you teach your children to function in the culture on its terms. How do we do this? We pander to their desires and wishes. We teach them to find their soul's delight in going places and doing things. We attempt to satisfy their lust for excitement. We fill their young lives with distractions from God. We give them material things and take delight in their delight in possessions. Then we hope that somewhere down the line, they will see that a life worth living is found only in knowing and serving God. In terms of Godward orientation, we're training them in the idolatry of materialism. In fact, we even feed the idols, end quote. In reality, I think it's it's all too easy for us, even in the church, to fall prey to our own sin, the, our own weakness in our flesh, and therefore just, just fall into the unbiblical goals and therefore practices of parenting from the world. It happens all the time. But let's just be convicted to be God-centered, Christ-centered in all that we do. Why wouldn't that extend to our parenting? Let us just be distinct. We, We don't really want what the world is selling. We want the treasure that God offers. And the good news is it's just free. Offers it for free to those who will search and seek his wisdom. It's found in his word. Has everything we need for life and godliness. Yes, that does include parenting. But here's the thing, you, just, you have to be utterly convinced of that, of your need for what God offers in his word, which is why we've labored so long. But once you're convinced of that, that need, you'll start searching and studying his word with a passion that won't stop until you find what you're looking for. I hope that describes you. And then for this parenting series, I want to help you with that search, that study for what God offers. You know what the rest of this biblical parenting crash course my aim is just to help you study, understand and then apply the scriptures to all areas of the parenting task. And I just want to help provide clarity. Biblical parenting is not hard in theory. You know, all the commands to parents and children could be written on a half sheet of paper from the Bible. That's not the hard part. Even in practice, what makes it hard it's not its complexity, just the incessant need for consistency. What makes it hard is your willpower to carry on, to walk by the Spirit. That is going to be on you. You must be faithful to the task as God defines it. I can't do that for you, but I can show you the way. And I can try and make it plain and relatable when it comes to implementing all of this in a culture as backwards as ours. And so that's our goal. In the weeks to come, we're going to cover foundational issues, establish the many biblical principles of parenting. Yes, we're going to start with the principles, but then we will move on to the biblical practice of parenting. is not designed to be just a theoretical time in the Bible here. No, all these principles must be put into practice, and I aim to make this as practical as possible. We will even get as specific as applying everything we learn to the various stages in your child's life. Infant, toddler, child, teenager, even adult children. We will we'll include a word to mothers, a word to fathers, a word to grandparents, a word to single parents. There's a lot to come. And I think maybe, not for sure, but we might finish this whole thing with a, a Q&A message parenting edition just to fit the theme of the mornings. But I might challenge you, even right now, to start a running list of all of your parenting questions, your, your biblical parenting questions. You make a list early. And then as we study, you see if they're, they're not answered just by our study of the word. And at the end, though, if there's questions that haven't been answered, then turn those in. And maybe as a final session, we just do a QA and a and answer those questions, help with uh, whatever fell through the cracks. We'll see how that goes. Now, though, for the rest of our time this, this evening, though, this first lesson, just introduction uh, introduction, and helping establish the need for biblical parenting, that this is something you, you know you need, you want. That being said, though, with the time we got left, I think it's a perfect place to talk about the goals of biblical parenting, just to, to get us started. We've already reflected and examined the some of the unbiblical goals of parenting in the world. Well, let's let, Let's counter that. Let's 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 show already. Let's get started. What's the contrast? What what kind of goals then should we have for our children, biblically? So let's let's do that now. Let's transition for just one topic before our time is up, to get started. The goals of biblical parenting. The goals of biblical parenting. Parenting in the church should be quite different from parenting the world in many respects. The most immediate and obvious difference should be, it should be obvious namely that, that we seek to live all of our lives under God and for God. We live God-centered lives. That should extend to our parenting. I mean, those in the world typically don't even recognize God in their lives, let alone their parenting. But our relationship with God and his son, Jesus Christ, is the defining reality of, In our lives, right? I hope you say yes, if you're a believer. Of course, therefore, that's going to extend to our parenting. And God's word has plenty to say about how we should go about doing that. And so our aim is to understand that, to implement that. Now, when it comes to the parent's perspective, if you're here as a parent, your own perspective, your goal is simply to be faithful in the mission God has given you. God's given parents a simple mission to raise up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We will flesh that out next week and beyond. We will talk about the mission of parenting. And from your perspective, you're just trying to be faithful to the mission God has given you. But I want us to consider the goals of parenting from the child's perspective. Or in other words, what kind of biblical goals should we have for them as we Raise them up as we engage this mission. The three main goals of the world—you might say—survival, self-esteem, success—and what those all have in common is that God is missing from the picture. These are purely earth-bound goals. It's not wrong to have some material goals for your kids, but but especially from a biblical perspective, spiritual goals are going to take precedence. That's because as Christians, we believe in two worlds the seen and the unseen, the physical and the spiritual, both just as real as the other. Except that we believe that that eternal life, the eternal world matters more than this life. Not that this life is irrelevant or doesn't matter. I mean, to the contrary, how you live this life and and whether you come to faith in Christ or not, is what determines your eternal destiny from a human perspective. All this goes to say our primary goals for our kids are, are going to be spiritual and have eternity in mind. We care about them, and we don't care that they just survive this life, but the life to come. And there's nothing wrong with, with having basic aspirations for your kids, that they grow up well-adjusted, they fit into society, have a, have a nice job, have a good marriage, so forth. I mean, who doesn't want that for their kids? But if we miss eternal matters, then a good life is really good for nothing. Eternity matters. That's fundamental to the Christian worldview. We don't want them to live their best life now. We want them to have their best life next in heaven, in the kingdom. That means they will need to live life now as disciples of Jesus Christ. Discipleship then will be the paradigm for all of our parenting goals keep that in. Discipleship. It's the paradigm, the model for all of our parenting goals. So along those lines, let me suggest just a short list, maybe a medium list of seven goals, seven biblical goals you should have for your children. You should keep these in mind as goals for your kids as you raise them up. Seven goals for your children. First, to be born again, to be born again. The world would have as the top of their list, survival, self-esteem, success. We would exchange those for a different S, salvation. In John 3, 3, Jesus said to enter the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again. That's true for all people. That, That includes your children. Our primary goal then is that they too would come to place their faith in Christ as their own Lord and Savior. And this matters above all to us who take seriously the need for salvation and regeneration. We'll talk a lot more about salvation with your kids in weeks to come. Now, the challenge is that we're not in control of this first and most important goal. Now, all the other goals will stem from this, but we have no power to affect it. You can do everything else right as a parent, and yet you're still, still your kids might not come to salvation, and you have no control over regeneration and the new birth. That ultimately lies in the hands of our sovereign God. That, though, does not mean that our parenting should be passive or that we should be unconcerned with this goal, like, oh, well, just let go and let God, I guess. We'll just let him be, and if he wants to save him, he'll save him. no. Look, we know that salvation does rest in the hands of God, but at the same time, uh, he's given us responsibility. Just as God's sovereignty and man's responsibility are are, uh, equally placed side by side in scripture, so it goes for the task of parenting. Yes, God must do for them what only he can do, namely give them new hearts. For one, that means we're going to be praying fervently to that end. It already informs one of a main parenting task of Prayer, praying for your kids, something you won't find in the books of the world, right? But for our methods, prayer is going to be pretty high up there, praying for your kids. But also, although God is sovereign, like I said, he has still made man responsible. These two truths are just side by side in scripture. And so he has still given parents a role to play. And all you need to worry about is just focusing on that role. You just be responsible. We're going to learn all about what that God-given role looks like. What is the responsibility God has placed in your hands as parents? And so, what do you do? Trust God, then be responsible. Fulfill your mission. Aiming at this first goal, this has to be obviously our, our top goal, salvation, that they would be born again. The second goal, to be filled with biblical knowledge and wisdom to be filled with biblical knowledge and wisdom. Our goals for our kids are going to be discipleship driven, right? Yeah, I'd love for them to have a a big house when they get old, but I'd rather them be disciples of Christ. So my my primary goals are going to be discipleship driven. And so for the the new believer, for example, or this unbeliever who's, who's coming close to the faith, well, we would seek to, as a first order of business, just seek to fill them with the knowledge of God's word, right? Colossians 1, nine. Paul, his desire for the Colossian believers, his young believers, is this. He says, for this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we've not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding knowledge of God's word. It's just foundational to salvation and then later to sanctification. You're, you're not getting far without a knowledge of God's word. It's profitable for all things. Now look, our goal is not just to puff up our kids in Bible knowledge so that they can win Bible trivia. We're not trying to fashion little Pharisees, but at the same time, like you still need Bible knowledge. You have to know what God's word says. You you have you need like a basic and even advanced level of Knowledge of the word. And so, a huge part of our parenting task is to instruct our kids in the Lord. It's only natural we would have as a goal then to to fill them with the knowledge. Who God is. What he has done. All according to his word. The same goes with biblical wisdom. Knowledge and wisdom. We want them to acquire wisdom. That they would navigate life rightly under God. And we know true wisdom starts with the fear of God, Proverbs one seven, which means they'll never be biblically wise until they come to salvation. But that's not going to stop us from imparting biblical wisdom to them. We want to employ the same hope as Timothy's mother, if you recall, the, the strategy of Timothy's mother and grandmother and, and parenting young Timothy, and it worked in God's grace. But. Her resolve. Her, one of her main methods of parenting was just to teach young Timothy the scriptures. Why? Second Timothy three fifteen. Paul reflects on this. He says to Timothy that from childhood you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. That's what we want. We're going to have as a goal imparting to our children biblical knowledge and wisdom. Thirdly now, <clears throat> to be gospel-centered. A third goal, to be gospel-centered. And yes, this is a, a corollary to the first two goals, but it is so important, it's worth mentioning on its own. That's because the gospel is a big deal. Romans 1.16, God has placed his power to save and to transform lives in the gospel. What is The gospel. It is the message of Jesus Christ, the good news message that although we are hopelessly lost and bound in sin, under God's just judgment, he sent the Savior, Christ Jesus, fully man, fully God, to die on the cross, bear our sin, pay our penalty, rise from the dead, and offering us eternal and new life and all the implications of that. God has placed his power to save and even to sanctify in this life-changing message and apprehended in the heart by faith. Well, we want that for our kids, so we, we obviously want them well versed in this message. But it goes beyond that because even this, this gospel is critical to our right living. With the hope that our children will come to salvation, they will still need the power of the gospel message to live in a manner pleasing to the Lord, putting off sin, putting on righteousness all of our parenting tasks that we will learn about later are going to have a distinct gospel flavor from our instruction to even our discipline. Christian parents who do not live their own lives centered on the gospel, they're going to find that they raise their kids not centered on the gospel. And then both in their parenting style and results, they're going to more so mimic the world and wonder why things are going wrong. But look, it's the gospel that makes everything we do distinct. We want to have a distinct gospel emphasis and flavor to our lives individually before God, certainly for our parenting, with how critical the gospel is for all things. Number four, our fourth goal to be obedient from a heart for God. To be obedient from a heart for God. Every parent wants their child to be obedient. And look, this is very important. It is mission critical that your child is obedient, especially very early on. And look, when you tell your kids to stop running in a busy parking lot, uh, that really matters. It, It matters a lot that they obey you immediately, because if they don't, the consequences of disobedience could be deadly, especially when they're young, like, and even older. Obedience matters. At the same time, teaching children obedience is right before God. It's morally right. That's because, like we said earlier, God has made you, as the parents, the authorities over these children. And his central command to kids, his is one primary command to children, Colossians 3.20, is to obey their parents. That, that's all they got to worry about. Memorize one verse. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right. That's what God expects. But it still goes even further because God calls on all people, even us adults, to respect and submit to our authorities in life. Disciples of Jesus should be those who honor authority. We want to train our children accordingly. Then it goes further still because above all, we are called to obey God in all things. To regard him as holy by obeying his word. So, if we sow rebellion or disobedience into the hearts of our kids, even just by neglecting to emphasize obedience, how do we really expect that one day their hearts are going to bear the fruit of obedience to God? No, it matters very much that they learn obedience. They're trained in obedience. Now, this goal has a huge caveat though, namely that we never want to seek obedience detached from the heart. We are not interested in, in gaining their obedience from fear or compulsion or manipulation, guilt. No, we're not interested in just behavior control. That, that, that's not our goal whatsoever. Rather, we seek children that fear God and love God in their own hearts, such that they come to obey their parents and obey God because they want to. It comes from within. That, of course, will get us later into our grandparenting task of shepherding the hearts of our children. But this is most definitely going, going to be a goal that we have, uh, the obedience of our children from a heart for God. A couple more here before our time is up. Number five, to be on guard against sin and the flesh. To be on guard against sin and the flesh. I told you, look, the paradigm is discipleship. That's what we want of any disciple. Why wouldn't we want this for our children? And just because we're not all wrapped up in our culture's warped view of self-esteem, that doesn't mean we don't want our kids to understand themselves, to, to know themselves rightly. Biblically, we very much want them to have an accurate understanding of self as defined by God. What does scripture say of the human condition? What happened at the fall? What what is this sin nature? What's the flesh? What is depravity? How does it express itself? We want our kids to be equipped with the truth and the honest and accurate assessment of, of who they are, the problem of their sin, and why they do the things they do. You know, you're protecting your kids, not just when you try and keep them from all temptation, but also when you teach them what temptation is why it's so appealing, why they want to do that bad thing. But then also how to find the way of escape, First Corinthians ten thirteen. You need to give them an understanding of sin and the flesh. And again, that will naturally just get you right back to the gospel, which is the good news that counters all the bad news of sin. Again, our, our culture is not spiritually minded and Most, I think it's easy to say that most kids in our culture, likewise, are not spiritually minded. Most kids live as if there's only one world, this world, and they live as if there's only one time, the present, the past doesn't matter, the future doesn't matter. All that matters is fulfilling the desires of their flesh right now in the present. That's it. They don't care about the past or the future. They don't care about heaven or hell. They're not spiritually minded at all. And that leads to ruinous choices, right? But we want our kids to open their eyes that the spiritual concepts of sin, righteousness, judgment, salvation are real. And to make choices in light of those uh, realities. Again, their eyes won't truly be opened until they come to salvation. But do you think that should stop us from teaching our kids to be on guard against sin and the flesh in a gospel-centered way? Now, this is a huge goal. And as they do, Lord willing, come to salvation, that goal will transform into teaching them how to walk by the Spirit, how to renew their minds, that they can begin their own new daily struggle and wrestle with sin while following the Lord in a manner pleasing to Him. Number six, just two more now, a sixth goal for our kids to be in the world, but not of the world. To be in the world, but not of the world. We can't escape the world we live in or the culture, and we're not even called to. So part of the biblical knowledge and wisdom we must pass on to our kids, especially as they get older, is the how to live in this world. We can't escape it, but we're not to be of it. We're not to be a part of of the the aspects of our culture that are antithetical to God. So just as we must discern how to live in this culture, what to accept, what to reject. So we must pass that discernment and understanding on to our children. And this too will intercept the salvation issue because again, we're not just trying to breed Pharisees who are scared of every aspect of the culture. But as as they come to Jesus, we, we want to present them with the cost of following him Part of that cost, he said, is rejection by the world. That's what he said. He said, those who follow him, you will be hated by the world. Our hope for our kids is that they would so follow Jesus genuinely, they would become unashamed disciples. Even if, you know, someday they grow up, they go off to college, but because of their their genuine faith in the Lord, they are persecuted, they're rejected, maybe even expelled. And the world would see that as a total failure. You just got kicked out of college. But I think as a Christian parent, I hope you would say, well done. Because my main goal is not just your material success, but your discipleship. You know, this goal advances as children age and interact more with the world. Their world starts off very small. As as an infant, it's just mother. That's that the whole world is just one person, mom. But as we become a toddler, it's mom and dads enter the mix. Thankfully, and they recognize us finally, give us a little attention. Mom and dad, siblings, your house. But as they get older, that that bubble increases. Peers play a huge role. Friends, schoolmates, and so forth. Eventually, outsiders, the culture, society, and eventually they will launch off fully into this society. And look, part of our goal is to prepare them for that day. It's God's will that they will one day leave your authority when they when they get married when they head off. You want them to launch out into society well prepared to be in the world but not of the world. Lastly now, a seventh goal is to be ready to pass on the faith. To be ready to pass on the faith. You might say that this is the most mature fruit, the highest goal. If salvation is the foundational goal at the bottom, then evangelism or passing on the faith is the highest hanging fruit. This only comes after your child matures and meets many of the other goals. This doesn't mean they've become perfect or they're a finished product. You look at these seven goals, I'm not a finished product. Are you a finished product with all these seven goals? We understand the nature of this. Still, though, these are our goals for our lives, for their lives. But a child who is ready to pass on the faith gives evidence that they're a true disciple and they're ready to live as salt and light in the world. We can have great confidence as they leave uh, in their stability. The day is coming, Lord willing, that your children will leave father and mother. Genesis 2.24, and join to another. On that day, a new household unit will form, no longer under your authority. But our greatest hope is that on that day, all of your parenting will come full circle and your kids will be the ones ready to pass on the faith to their kids. And that really is the, the end game here. Our time is mostly up. But I think these seven goals really merit the top places in our parenting efforts. There's a lot more to come in this course. We're really just getting started. But even as we finish for now, with all this in mind, I want to give you your first assignment. And some of you are here as theoretical parents. You're single or you're young married. You don't have kids yet. That's all fine. It's good to gain wisdom now from the experience of others. And some of you are graduated parents and your kids are, are Old, they're gone, and you you finish the main parenting task. That's fine too. You be sure to pass on your experience to the younger generation. But I think there's a chunk of you here who are active parents, meaning you have kids in the home under your authority right now. And so, especially for you, I want to give an assignment. Before next week, I would challenge you to have a discussion with your spouse where you evaluate each of your kids. According to these seven goals. Most of these goals, they're ongoing in the lives of all disciples. That includes us adults. This is for us too. You could very well just evaluate yourself. How well are you doing in pursuing Christ under these seven goals? But at the same time, evaluate your children. Have you ever done that before? Are they of an age? You know, if they're one, there's not much to say, but. The older they get, you can really start evaluating where are they? How are they doing? How are we doing? How are we being intentional here? Is your parenting aimless? Especially as they get older, the older they get, you have to be more intentional and an evaluation, a check-in. Child by child, strengths, weaknesses. How are they with these goals? Not even close, very close, very confident. Just Where are they? Where are you steering the ship? Hopefully you're not steering it in the ways of the world. That leaves a shipwreck. And hopefully you're not just aimless and adrift at sea. You'll be carried by the whims of the wind. That's usually not a good thing. But be purposeful and intentional with your parenting. Steer this ship, your household, in the way of the Lord. And just so first, to begin, evaluate how you and your kids are doing. What are the shortcomings, the weaknesses, the strengths? Maybe so far you've been focusing entirely on biblical knowledge, uh, but you've never had a discussion about the flesh, a a knowledge of sin. Okay, time to do that. Or maybe you've been really obedience-driven with your little ones, but you've never actually talked about gospel things. It hasn't really come up. Well, it might be time. Whatever the case, evaluate yourself, your kids. This is just between you and your spouse, if applicable. You're not turning this in. This is just for you. But whatever the case, evaluate yourself and your kids, and you're going to find areas that are going to merit your greater attention in the weeks coming up. And in the following weeks, we're going to further equip you with all of the biblical principles and practices to help you and your children reach these goals. All by the grace of God, but He has made you and me responsible. We've been given a task at hand. We will trust him. We will pray for his power daily. But then let us be faithful to do what he's called us to do. Trusting him to bless our children. Let's do that now. Let's call on him in a word of prayer and our time will be finished. Our gracious God, we, we very much call on your grace in this moment for our children. And for all the parents here who have children or grandchildren, we, we call on you for their sakes as well. That you would that you would uh, care for them, watch them, bless them. And and primarily, Lord, bring them to yourself. Call them to salvation. There's a work that you must do, which only you can do. Speaking life into their hearts. And we, we call on you for it. At the same time, you have made us responsible with this most significant task to raise them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We are not sufficient for these things. Not a single parent in here is on their own sufficient for these tasks. We fall far short of these goals in our lives and and being able to pass them on to our kids. It's woeful, but by your spirit and the power of Christ, we are sufficient. You've given us your word it makes us efficient. You equip us. You've not left us without hope and help. We just need to be faithful. Even if we've fallen short, Lord, renew us in faithfulness. Help us to to get up and to pursue you with our children even more. It's not too late. Fill us with hope and then a sense of determination that even if we have to do a one hundred and eighty, it's time to steer this ship to the ways of the Lord. That will bless us, our children, and your kingdom. We aim to be lights and for them to be lights in this world. So just help us, Lord, uh, bring conviction and change from this evening. Also hope and instruction as well. Until next time, Christ's name we pray. Amen.